Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series in the book of 1 John with this message entitled, The Proof of Love, preached February the 25th, 2001. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. We want to speak to you from the Holy Scriptures. 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 7 through verse 11. We are dealing with the subject of the assurance of salvation. How do we know that we are Christians, born of God, saved forever, united to God? That we are children of God's family. We are held in the grip of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are held in the hand of the Father. Saved forever. How do we know that we are not going to hell, but we are going to heaven? How do we know that we are people of God's kingdom? These are questions for which we find answers in the scriptures. So today we want to speak to you concerning assurance of salvation. Last week we said, how do we know? Because we keep his commandments. There is no other way to know. Jesus Christ is the Savior and he saves us from our sins. In other words, if he saved you, then you are able to love God and obey his commandments and live a triumphant, victorious Christian life. Don't tell me that you are a Christian and lives in sin. That has nothing to do with Christianity. So the answer is, if you keep his commandments, you enjoy the assurance of salvation that you are a child of God. Your nature is changed. You are given divine nature. And therefore, we, with great delight, keep God's commandments because It is the will of God and it is the expression of divine nature. But this morning there is a specific test that God has given us in these verses. Chapter 2 of 1 John 7 through 11. There is a particular test and specific test. And what is that test? Love of the brethren. So in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 through 11, the apostle is more specific and particular. He tells us that we know we are in the light. We have fellowship with God. We are born of God. We are children of God. We have eternal life. We are on our way to heaven because we love 
our brothers. Turn to verse 10. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. God is light. In other words, whoever loves his brother lives in the sphere of God. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. That is the specific test. Now you ask the question, why love is given us as the specific test? Because all commandments are comprehended in this one thing called love. That we should love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength is found in the Torah, in the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 and 5, Leviticus 19, 17 and 18 and so on. And Jesus Christ himself was asked what is the first commandment, the most important commandment. And he gave an answer in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. The entire will of God is comprehended in this command. That we love God. That's why St. Paul gives us this specific command. And in the book of John, the 13th chapter, this is called the new commandment. Jesus called it. New commandment, and we'll tell you why he said it is the new commandment. John 13 and verse 34 says, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. John 15 and verse 12, My commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. John 15, verse 17, this is my command, love each other. And even in this first epistle of St. John, chapter 3 and verse 23, we are given two commandments. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. In other words, faith in Jesus Christ must manifest and express itself in love for one another. If you ask Paul, he has a few things to tell us. Let me read to you from Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. This is what he says in Paul For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Not cold orthodoxy, cold intellectualism, or solo Christianity. Faith expressing itself in love. Or Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14. The entire law. In other words, the entire will of God. Is summed up in a single command. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't even say love God. It says love your neighbor as yourself. The entire will of God is subsumed under this one command. The rationale here is love for God and love for neighbor. These are two sides of the same coin. One cannot exist without the other. The specific test then is what? Love of the brethren. Love of the people of God. It is understood. Those who love the people of God. Truly do love God. Who is invisible. So notice. So the test is not that we should love God. Who is unseen. The reality of our love to God will be evident in our love for God's people whom we see and rub shoulders with. And love for God and love for the children of God, as I said, are two sides of the same coin. There cannot be one without the others. Therefore, St. Paul says, the whole law is comprehended in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, of course we want to know what this love is. There was a word in the secular Greek. Agapao. Agape. Agapetoi. And this word. Agapao. Or agape. In secular Greek. Represented a love. Now Listen. A love in which the mind analyzes and the will chooses the object to be loved. So, agape love is not a term as love is understood today. It's not a term wholly given to emotion or feeling. But it involves The whole man, intellect, and will, and emotion. So agape, therefore, is not a falling in love. To love the agape way is a deliberate and free act. That is the decision of the subject, the lover. Rather than the result of some overpowering emotion. So Christian love is not simply a wave of blind emotion. It is a deliberate conviction of the mind. Issuing in a deliberate Policy of life. Intellect and will are primarily involved in this love. And this is the reason why God commands us to love. If it is a result of a wave of emotion, it cannot be done. That is, it cannot be commanded. 
when God commands us to love, then we choose to love by deeds that benefit the other person. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the regenerate Christian sets his mind and will to love his brothers and sisters who are sinners like me, but saved by grace. Imperfect like me, but saved by grace. I set my mind and my will to love my brothers and sisters in terms of deeds done by me for that person's benefit. So feeling is not the determining element in Christian love, in agape kind of Christian love. This agape love seeks the highest good in the beloved. What is the highest good? The simple answer is the will of God is the highest good. Love is the doing of the will of God. You must understand John the Apostle is on the one hand is dealing with the heretics called Gnostics and on the other hand instructing the true people of God as to how they should live. So it is good one more time to take a look at these Gnostics. They were the errorists. They were the cultists of the time. They were the people who threw away the old, the traditional, the orthodox, the biblical, the historical revelation in Jesus Christ in favor of what they manufactured in their heads. And all cults deal that way. They reject the true and the historical revelation. Of divine truth. And these errorists made a lot of claims, as people make claim in the church today. They claimed that they are Christians. They claimed that they were born again. They claimed that they were on their way to heaven. In fact, they looked down upon everybody else in their great hollow assurance. And turn with me to 1 John chapter 1 verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness. That's what they did. They said we have fellowship with God but they kept on sinning. And in verse 10 of chapter 1 we read that they never sinned these people said. And chapter 1 verse 8 they said they are without sin. Remember that. And chapter 2 verse 4 they said we know God. And yet they did not obey God. And chapter 2 verse 9 they said we are in the light. But they hated the brothers. And chapter 4 verse 20 they say I love God. But they hated 
the brothers. So these six claims are spread all over in the Bible, in this epistle, that speaks about the errorists' false claim about their salvation, about their relationship with God. But Apostle John is pointing out it was hollow, it was false. And they were on their way to hell every day. There were Gnostics, uh, like Serinthus. He was a contemporary of uh, St. John, Serinthus. We are told that he devoted his life to the pleasures of the body and conceived. The future kingdom consisting of delights of the belly and sexual passion. What cult is teaching that today? You can name them. That was Serinthus, taken up with every form of sexual immorality, counseling multiple marriages, and talking about the kingdom which consisted in delights of the belly and sexual passion. Later came men like Carpocrates, who taught that the creation was the work of not the absolute primary God, but the work of an emanation far removed from God called Demiurge. And this demiurge then is responsible for creation, for matter, therefore responsible for evil. They said matter is evil. And they also said this demiurge, this emanation far removed from the absolute God is responsible for the Ten Commandments. Isn't that interesting? And so these errors said, That we should oppose the Ten Commandments. How do you oppose the Ten Commandments? By doing exactly the opposite of the Ten Commandments. They define biblical sin as not sin, but as something good. See, good is evil and evil is good. So they delighted in violating the Ten Commandments. They taught that it is good to commit adultery. And we hear that today. The new morality is teaching exactly that it is good to commit adultery. Our political leaders are telling us it is good to commit adultery. They are saying by committing adultery, we oppose the demiurge who created matter and gave us the Ten Commandments. Thus they canonized autonomy and antinomianism. They taught committing sin is the way to perfect knowledge leading us to salvation. And let me tell you, our time is no different from the time of the Apostle John at the end of the first century. And they redefined sin as ignorance. Ignorance of where men came from Or who men are and what they would become. And of course the Gnostics had the answers. Therefore 
they are saved. Then there was a man, later on of course, by name Valentinus in the second century, who taught that there are three types of people. You see, this is the caste system. There are three types of people. The first type are material people. And they said, they are lost, they cannot be saved. And second type, animal people. And they said, Valentinus. <laughs> he said, you know, they can be saved, but it has to be by serious choice and effort. And then there is the third. They are spiritual, pneumaticoi. They are saved. They don't have to do anything. They are saved. And not only that they are saved, but they can sin to their heart's content. Nothing happens. It does not affect their salvation. So I want to tell you, John was dealing with a certain incipient Gnostics and Gnosticism. People who were arrogant. People who divorced themselves from orthodox and old teachings of the Bible. Divorced themselves from Jesus Christ and the apostles. They were promoting new teachings, strange and novel teachings. Antinomianism. And salvation without the person and work of Jesus Christ of history. That's what they were promoting. So I said the cults of today do the same thing. Take for instance Christian science teaches sin is what? Unreal. It is an illusion. And look at all cults. They are opposed to the biblical view of sin and the biblical view of salvation and the biblical view of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. These Gnostics hated the true Christians. They mocked them and infected them with their error and denial of the biblical ethical standards. And this is what you find in liberal churches. And superficial evangelical churches. This is what we are seeing. Promoting antinomianism. And autonomy. And then salvation is assured to you. It doesn't matter. Didn't you receive Jesus as savior? Because you invited him to come in. Now you can sin to your heart's content. Salvation is assured. But as I said, John, on the other hand, was teaching the true Christians how they must live the authentic Christian life. The message you heard from the beginning is a message that spoke about biblical ethics that you love one another. In other words... The apostolic preaching in the first century, when they preached the gospel, they taught the catechumen that they should believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they should keep commandments, they should love their brothers, and so on. This is no strange teaching, but the same old message you have received. Look at verse 7. It says, dear friends, which is a false translation. It doesn't mean dear friends. 
But the text says in view of love that is being taught in that passage, the text begins by saying, agape toi, beloved. Now take a look at that. That's what it says, beloved. Well, to me, it gives me great joy to be addressed as what? Beloved. Now the question is, beloved of whom? Let me tell you. Beloved of the Father from before the foundation of the world. Beloved of the Son. Hallelujah. St. Paul tells us, he loved me and gave himself for me. St. Paul tells us, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Beloved of the Father, beloved of the Son, and beloved of the apostles, and beloved of every Christian in the family of God. Let's praise God that we are beloved. It's not dear friends. And let me tell you, this, this is a state, this is a condition. And you never can become unbeloved. You understand that? You are always beloved. You can never become unbeloved, unglued from God's love. We are accepted. We are told in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, in the beloved, hegapemeno means one who always remains to be beloved. It is Jesus Christ. In him, in him we are accepted. And so we also remain forever beloved. And now take a look at it. It says he negates something in verse 7. I'm not writing you a new commandment. See, John denies that he is teaching a novel, strange, and unorthodox teaching. You see, people have itching ears. They don't want this old teaching. Well, this is not a, a new problem. This was the whole problem. And the Gnostics were people who majored in new things. They despised anything that was old and authentic and orthodox and historically revealed. So John denies that his teaching is a novel, strange thing. You see, he's saying the same thing that St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23. This is what he says. For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. I didn't make it up, in other words. I received and I gave it to you. This is tradition. It is the tradition, it is the orthodox teaching handed down to me and we hand down to you. It is the old teaching coming to us from Jesus Christ himself. It is the teaching you received notice in the beginning. The beginning of their Christian experience. And what is this teaching? This new teaching, which is not new. It is old teaching. What is it? That you love one another. And this is something that is revealed in the Old Testament, as I said. But why is it new? Because nobody in the history of humanity ever fulfilled that commandment that you should love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, until the Son of God incarnate came. It is in him we find this 
teaching to be fulfilled in his life and in his death. Therefore, there is a newness to it. He fulfilled all commandments when he loved God and us. So this commandment to love one another is also a new commandment. Because Jesus Christ exemplified it. Specifically and particularly where? On the cross. He loved the church and gave himself for her. This is agapao. Based on intelligent understanding and decision of the Father's will. Not based on some kind of irrational blind emotion that came upon Jesus Christ and said, I want to go and die on the cross. He loved me and gave himself for me. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 10 and let me read to you from verse 14. Here it is. 14 through 18, he tells us something about the fulfilling of this new command. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I laid down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and so on. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. This is what love is all about. This is new also. It is old and it is new because Jesus Christ illustrated it, exemplified it perfectly. He loved me. And not only that, Jesus Christ said it was a new commandment. John 13 verse 34 tells us, I give you a new commandment. And what is new about it? Of course, there is something new here. Before it was love your neighbor as what? Now it is changed. Now the standard has been changed since the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it? What is the new standard? Love as I have loved you. That is new. Read John 13 verse 34 and 15 verse 12. And look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must what? Walk as Jesus walked. That's the standard. Love your wife how? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. It's a new standard. It is old but it is also new because Christ exemplified it perfectly. Because there's a new standard comes to us in this command to love. And finally, it is new because this commandment is being fulfilled afresh daily in the lives of true Christians who are born of God and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So the truth of this commandment is seen in Jesus Christ. He alone kept the commandment perfectly as the Messiah. But take a look at this. Verse 8. Yet I am writing you a new commandment. It's truth. The truth of the new commandment that you love one another. Is seen in him. And what? And in you. Wonder of wonders. 
self-centered human beings. Sinners. Dead in trespasses and sins. Transformed by the mighty power of God. Are enabled to love one another. It's not only fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But it is being fulfilled in the church of Jesus Christ. Though not perfectly. Because we love one another. In the book of Acts chapter 2. Chapter 2, 42 through 47. Chapter 4, 32 through 36. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miracles and signs were done by the apostles and the believers were together and had everything in common selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need nobody told them to do it nobody told them no legislation came down from anybody amazing that the truth of this new commandment is fulfilled in him And it is applied into our life. All of a sudden, people all around the world are loving one another in the church of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you that this is true. The new commandment is being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And in the church, how do you know? He says, because darkness is passing away. And true light is already shining. Since the intrusion of the light into this world, something is happening. Evil is on the retreat. Light is advancing. Since the coming of Jesus Christ, true light has intruded into this evil age and darkness and evil is retreating And true light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is shining. Remember it says resist the devil and he shall flee from you. One little word shall fell him. A strong man is bound by the stronger one, the eternal son. He defeated him by his death on the cross. This gospel light is advancing and making great progress as the word of God is multiplied in human hearts. How? How? By the application of this redemption which Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross by his death being applied into human hearts by the mighty power of the Spirit of God. People who were anchored to their self and to their desires and to Satan are unhooked and uncoupled and unentangled and they are centered in God and liberated from the shackles of sin and self-centeredness. The true light is already shining in the church of Jesus Christ No wonder Jesus said you are the light of the world. As people are regenerated, as people repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, as people, by the power of the Holy Spirit, live out their Christian life of love, 
True light means divine light, authentic light. You see, the whole world is in deep darkness. And you say there are are philosophers. (laughs) The Bible says it is hollow. It is hopeless, meaningless cogitations of a sinner. The darkness of evil shall not triumph. This is what John is saying. It is on the retreat. It has been defeated by Christ on the cross. And its complete defeat is going to come. In 1 John, turn with me. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. And it says, and now dear children... Continue in him, abide in him, dwell in him, walk in the light, and so on. So that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. He's coming again. At that time, darkness will be completely driven out from his world. There is going to be a new heaven and new earth. But it's already happening. Let me ask you, why should a Christian marriage thrive? There's love, isn't it? It should thrive. A Christian family should thrive because there is what? Love. Love. Love in that family. A Christian church should thrive. How come your marriage, if it is not thriving, ask the question? There is a lot of sin, a lot of darkness. Lot of selfishness, lot of denial of this Christian truth. Must repent and ask God to forgive our sins and, and flood our hearts and our home with such fullness of love that light shine so that the world can see. So you, are, you are the light of the world. You have an obligation to the world. Your marriage should work. Your family should thrive. The Christian church should thrive. In triumph. In victory. Because we have an obligation to the world. And so look at verse 10. Chapter 2 and verse 10. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. There it is. It is not loving your brother puts you in the light. No, salvation is by grace. It is free. It is a divine initiation. But your love of the brethren, your love of your wife, your love of your husband, your love of your children, your love of your brothers and sisters in the church reveals, manifests so clearly that you are already what? In the life. And you are born of God. How do we know? A person is a Christian. Whoever loves his brother, specific particular test, lives in the light. And it says there is nothing in him that makes him stumble. He is, his salvation is secure. He's not going to fall and lose his salvation. His salvation is secure. He shall not fall away. He is in the light and walks in the light. Let's turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, that speaks very clearly about a believer and an unbeliever. Chapter 4, 
18 and 19. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of the dawn shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Or turn to John chapter 11 and verse 9. Here is John tells us very clearly. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble. For he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles for he has no light. In other words, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life. He who loves his brother lives in the light and he is secure. I must tell you, Apostle John is not speaking about cold orthodoxy, cold intellectualism. Neither is he talking about some solo Christianity. See, there are people who hop from one church to another church to another church to another church to another church. They just don't want to be in a church, in some serious relationship, because the person will be seen and known. And they hop from place to place. That's solo Christianity. This has nothing to do with authentic Christianity. Authentic Christianity means you must love your brothers. In order to do that, you must belong to a community of God's people. And who may come to you and love you and may rebuke you and correct you and adjust you or whatever else. Let me tell you why should we love one another. It's a simple answer to that. First John chapter 5 verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. That's right. It is a family business. We are truly born from the same father, then we must love his children, all of his children. First John chapter 3, verse 10, let me read this to you. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Oh, now it is very clear. If you don't love one another, you are the children of the devil. Because these people claim to live in the light, but hate their brothers. Here it is. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not the child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. But he who loves his brother, it says, abides in the light. Now, that's interesting word, abide. I was recently in Frankfurt, but I was in transit. I was not living in Frankfurt, in other words. I was not residing permanently. In other words, he who loves his brother is a permanent resident of the realm of light. That's the idea. Let me give you one scripture, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. 
For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. This is not transit. This, this is permanent residence. God is our dwelling place. We live in him and move in him and have our being. St. Paul tells us he rescued us from this evil age. He goes on to say something. He who hates his brother in spite of his claim. John the apostle tells us he is in darkness. Until at this moment. Heos arti. Until at this moment. In other words, in spite of all the claim you may make, if you do not love one another, what? You are an unregenerate. Second, you walk about in darkness. Third, you don't know where you are going. You write philosophy books and you tell everybody what to do. The truth is you have no idea what you are doing. You don't know where you are heading. It appears you are going north, then south, then east, and then west. You are going in circle. Fourth, your eyes are blind. There is an echo river, Mammoth Cave. How many of you went to Kentucky to Mammoth Cave? Echo River. There are fish in there. And if you take one exam, and it has eye sockets. It doesn't have what? Eyes. This is a serious problem, isn't it? Keep in mind, they are in darkness. They walk about in darkness. They don't know where they are going. And what is the fourth? When you see a big socket, but there are no eyes. And they are the ones blind leading the blind, telling everybody how to live. As God opened your eyes, as God translated from the realm of darkness into the realm of his dear son. Have you been born of God? Are you on your way to heaven? Are you a child of God? Ask these questions. Do I love one another? Heavenly Father, have mercy upon us. Help us to be serious. Help us to examine ourselves in the light of your infallible word. And help us to cry out to you and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.